tonight. We are still in the Hall of Fame of Faith and working our way through and big installment tonight. Although not a lot of verses, but just a lot to cover and why they're there. So we're going through personalities and now we're looking into an event that happened as we are in Hebrews 11. We're going to talk about verse 30 and 31. I'm going to read them to you in just a second, but I'm going to thank God for his word tonight, and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you. It's Wednesday in the middle of the week. We get a, a booster shot, so we make it to Sunday. So we ask for the word to come alive to us tonight and refresh us. Father, I pray that worship had refreshed us and that we're seeking your face and we're keeping focused on you. But Holy Spirit, open the word up to us tonight and allow it to penetrate our hearts Heal our hearts, Lord God, of all the things that the enemies tried to damage them with. Give us the truth of your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. It's such an interesting thing to go through Old Testament things in our New Testament situation because we get such good hindsight. But let me read you the two verses in Hebrew 11, Hebrews 11, 30 and 31. And this is the topics for tonight. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down, and they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And that's it. Just two verses for tonight. Uh, we're looking at Joshua and the battle of Jericho. If you don't know that story, we're going to get some detail on it tonight. And then we're going to talk about Rahab uh, the harlot the second woman mentioned in the Hall of Fame of Faith, and we said one was a princess, that was Sarah, and the other one was a harlot. So that should speak to us that God can use anybody who's willing, amen? amen. Wherever we fall into that spectrum, we're, we're, if we're available, God uses sinners to do great things when he saves them, amen? So by faith, it says the walls of Jericho fell down after the Israelites had marched around them for seven days. Now this is... Talking about the battle of Jericho there, and we know Joshua had taken the helm from Moses. He's leading the people. Uh, he's a good leader. He's a godly leader. And God is with him, and God is giving him victories. Realize uh, leaders need to have victories so that they're respected by the people that they lead. Amen? If you have a leader that always leads you from one disaster to the next, come on, don't look at your spouse right now. But think about it. If you lead and you, you lead well and people see that you do and they know that God is with you, they'll follow you. So God's affirming, uh, you know, his leaders here. He's affirming Joshua. And we get that by faith that we're looking for. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. So let's, let's take a look at what's happening here. Joshua... Uh, did an amazing thing for the Lord as he led the people of God. It's an amazing moment in Israel's history. God does this tremendous miracle for his people to show his power, his commitment, and his faithfulness to them. And he uses some strange tactics to bring it about. Now, what we find is the children of Israel possessing the land, and they come up against Jericho. Now, Jericho is full of people that don't serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are not godly. They're wicked, yet they're in a fortified city with high, hardened walls. Now, this city was protected by this massive wall that encircled the entire city, 
and they had an army behind that wall to defend themselves. So Jericho was about to be undone, not by the military strategy of God's people or the great you know, warriors that he had, although they had a part to play. God's hand was with them, and he was about to knock down the walls of Jericho, and it was going to require faith to do that, amen? We never get away from faith. We, it always has to be faith. Well, can it be intellect this time? No, it has to be faith. Can it be the strength of our, our flesh? Or, you know, can it be just our, you know, our savvy? No, it always has to be faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Even if we accomplish something in our own strength, it has no eternal value unless it has faith. So God's about to unleash the faith of his people in a way that's very interesting. Joshua 6 is where this whole entire story takes place. Why don't you turn to Joshua 6 tonight? Joshua 6, 1 through verse 25, contains the story of Joshua and the battle of Jericho. And verse 1 starts with a description of the city. It says, Now Jericho was tightly shut because, the sons of, because of the sons of Israel. No one went out, and no one came in. So here's a picture of the city, and it's walled, and now it's shut down. Why? Because uh, the, the children of Israel are there, and the people are like, oh, no, you know, we're going to lock ourselves in our city, and, and we're going you know, to wait you out. So Jericho is shut up tightly, and the sons of Israel are there. No one was coming in, and no one is going out. What's happening here, from a military perspective, this is a, a situation called a siege. They're about to siege this walled city. What does that mean? An army's going to camp on the outside. The people are going to lock themselves on the inside. You know, most of the understanding we get of this is from movies we've seen. If you've seen The Lord of the Rings, if you've seen, you know, Braveheart and all these things, you've seen armies siege walled cities or castles. And this is exactly what is happening here. The people are locking themselves in. You know, they're, they're taking all their animals in with them. They were getting food. You know, cities that were planned correctly with walls around them had a water supply inside so that they could sustain people for a long time. Uh, what is happening here is this is siege warfare, and siege warfare happens in two ways. Those on the inside of the walled city will either be starved into submission and negotiate a surrender, or the walls of the city had to be breached. They would scale them with ladders, with breaching tools. They would knock the gates open. You've seen this all before, amen? And this is what's happening in the scripture, and this time it's God's people against this walled city of Jericho. So it's a siege here. Now, verses two to five show that God had an interesting plan on how to take the city. Uh, verse two is interesting enough as it, it says here, the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand, and, it is, and its king and its valiant warriors. So God says something to him here. He says, see, I've given Jericho into your hand. And I want you to concentrate on that sea. Because really, if you're outside a walled city that's locked up, you're in for a long day. Hello. And God says, I've given you the city, don't you see? And really, <laughs> if we're being realistic here, any rational leader in the natural would say, no, I don't know that I've taken the city. Why? Because this is a siege. And that what we're in for is a long protracted, costly sieging campaign, and there's no guarantee of victory. These can go all different ways. But God says to Joshua, see, 
yeah, they've locked themselves up. They're fortified. They got an army in there. They got food in there. You guys are on the outside looking in. But I want you to see that I've given you the victory. God wanted to know if Joshua could see with the eye of faith. You see, in the natural it's a long fight. We don't know who's going to win. We don't know how this is going to go. But God wanted him not to see in the natural, but in the supernatural realm. And this is what we have to develop, our, our, our supernatural sight, that we would see with the eye of faith. God was saying, Josh, do you see I've given you the city? And, you know, hopefully something stirred up in Joshua as God is speaking to him and that promise and that reality that God is saying that, you know, the victory is secure. You know, yeah, there's all these warriors and there's these high walls and, you know, but I want you to not look with your eyes. I want you to look with your faith. And it's already done. And that's the thing that God speaks to it in like the past tense. I've given you the city. I've given you the king. I've given you all of it. It's done. You know, when Jesus was done on the cross, he said what? It is finished. In God's sight, many things are finished because he's declared and decreed them. But we have to see with the eye of faith before we can get in line with God is doing and, that, and, and we're not fearful and, and all of these other hindrances come in. No, Joshua, could you see with the eye of faith? See, I have handed Jericho over to you. Was he in possession of it yet? Not yet. In verses 3 through 5, God tells Joshua the divine battle plan he's devised. And listen to this one. It is a doozy. He says, see, I've given you the city of Jericho and its king and its valiant warriors. Listen to verse 3 through 5. You shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpet. It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the walls of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up every man straight ahead. So that's God's battle plan right there. A little bit uh, unconventional, shall we say. And, you know, you're looking at me like, you know, we know the end of this story, Pastor, so this is not really as exciting as it would be. But let's look at what Joshua just heard because he doesn't know the end of the story. And this is where his faith kicks in. He's got to believe what God is saying to him here. The divine battle plan to destroy this wicked city that stood in the way of God's people from possessing the promise that he had given them was, you know, something that they were going to have to do by faith. It wasn't just a military physical thing. What God tells Joshua didn't make a shred of sense uh, in any conventional sense. Uh, it wasn't logical. It wasn't even plausible. Joshua was going to need faith just to believe it. He was going to need faith to, to communicate it to the people. Here's God's battle plan. March all the soldiers around the city and circle it one time. So this is a big city. It's got a big wall. You got to march around it. Realize you have to stay out of arrow range when you march around it. So that's a good 300, 400 yards back, depending on the gear they had those days. And then they had to go all the way around the city. That sounds like work to me, amen? I don't do that much walking. I have a four-wheeler, thank you, Jesus. 
But they got to get the whole army, get them all dressed up, get their spears and their shields and their swords. And, and you know, you're going you're gonna to get away from the wall far enough to be safe. You're going to march around the city. You're going to do that once a day for six days. Get seven priests with seven ram's horn and the Ark of the Covenant to go with you. So now there's a military component and there's a spiritual component. Seven priests, seven, God's number of perfection. The Ark the, the, the vehicle that contained the presence of God. So now you've got these priests, they're blowing horns, they got the ark out there. Uh, that's the second component. On the seventh day, you're to march around seven times. Did anybody hear that? Seven times on the seventh day. And the priests will blow their trumpets. Wow, this is, you know, uh, where's the punchline, God? I'm not really understanding how this is gonna work. Um, after a long trumpet blast, everybody will shout and the walls will fall flat. Sound good? Sound logical? Sound plausible? Well, maybe if we stomp really hard when we go around, it'll loosen up the walls. You know, maybe, you know, maybe the sound of our voices altogether will loosen up the mortar. No, nobody was thinking that. And I want you to get this. You know, we sit there and we, we listen to this stuff and we think, well, you know, we know how it ends, so it's all good. But when God says some things to us, when God speaks some things to us, sometimes it does not make any sense at all. Lord, this person is being miserable to me. Just love them. God, I'm in this situation and I'm being abused. Just stay there. Come on, Wednesday night. I'm just trying to make it real. God says stuff to us. He asks us to do things many times, and it, it just doesn't make any sense. This plan, you know, oh, well, after you shout, then the walls will fall flat, and you guys can just go straight in. And they're thinking, those walls are massive. There's going to be such a rubble pile. We're, we're going to not be able to get over it. We're going to get picked off trying to climb through it. So you got to think about what they're experiencing, what Joshua's experiencing. Now Joshua hears this, and he's got to pitch it to his men. He's got to, he's got, you know, some days you, you want to be a leader and some days you don't. I got to tell him what. I got to ask him to do what. Now, I don't know how they took it. I don't know if they grumbled. I don't know if they questioned it. The Bible doesn't say. I know human nature, so I'm thinking this has got to be somewhat of a tough sell. Verses 6 through 14 is the implementation of what God told Joshua to do. And these verses add some caveats to the mix here. Verse 9 describes the formation that they are to uh, take when they go in. It says, in verse 9, it says, The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpet, and the rear guard came after the ark while they continued to blow the trumpet. So here's how this is working out here. He, he describes to them how we're going to do this formation as we circle around, and it's a mix of a spiritual component and a military component. You got priests blowing horns, so you got, the, you got the men of the military up front. Now the ark is in the middle. The ark is in the middle. Now there's times when God asks them to send Judah out front, send the worshipers out front, and, and you know, put the ark here. This is a little different. You got the, the, the army, you got the ark, you got the priests blowing trumpets, and then you got military behind them. So it's the presence of God sandwiched between the men of Israel. And that's the formation that they use to walk around uh, and blow the trumpets and do all of what God said. Basically, the presence of God is bookended by the armies of Israel. 
Now, verse 10 would be the hardest thing to do. This, verse 10 is really the thing that would, to me, I think as a leader, this would be the hardest one. But Joshua commanded the people saying, you, not, you shall not shout, nor let your voice be heard, nor let a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I tell you shout, then you shall shout. So they had to do this in complete silence. Now, some of us cannot be silent for three seconds straight. Could you imagine dead silence? What if you talked? Would a lightning bolt hit you? I know when the priests reach out to steady the ark on certain occasions, they got struck down dead. Who knows what happened? Did, did anybody talk? We don't hear about them. We don't know. But he says, you, you know, you let the priest blow the trumpet. You walk, you, army out front, army behind, spiritual element in the middle. Nobody says a word. That's an interesting caveat. Verse 11 through 14, Joshua, the priests, and the army do just as God instructed them. For six days straight, they do as they were instructed. See, they were obedient. They circle the city. They carry the ark. They blow the horns. They've sandwiched the priest in between the army, and they don't say a word as far as we know. Realize, a huge part of faith is being obedient a huge part of exercising faith is being obedient. See, a lot of us know what to do, but we don't do it. Oh, I know it. I know what to do. What does the Lord require of thee? Oh, I know. I know that one. Do we do it? See, it's not faith until we're obedient to it, but it doesn't make sense. Do I have to do it? Especially when it doesn't make sense, we have to do it. Just as exactly as God has required it. See, you might look at this situation and think, man, I'm glad I wasn't involved because this is a hard one. This, is, this goes against every instinct. It goes against the grain. It requires obedience. It requires discipline. It requires physical effort. And these are all components of exercising our faith. Faith is just not a conceptual thing or you know, some kind of uh, speech that we make. Uh, it's not a proclamation. Faith is being obedient to the instructions of God and doing what he says. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? So they do exactly what God has told them to do. They put their faith into action with obedience and they fulfill the commands of God. It didn't make sense. It, it didn't make sense to them at the time. And I want, you to, I want you to realize something else. Not only did it probably not make sense to them, but it was not having any effect as they were doing it. Think about this, the first time they marched around, the second time, the third time, over and over again, up to the sixth time. And what's happening? Nothing's happening. The, wall, the wall's not loosening up. There's not, you know, they're not seeing cracks in it. The mortar's not falling out. The foundations are not being shifted. They march around over and over again. And it seems like, you know, it doesn't make sense. Nothing's happening. Six times around, you know, okay, we'll do it because God said it, but we're not seeing anything. How many understand the true test of faith is when we do what God says to do and we don't see any immediate results? Come on, who's been there? Come on, God, I, I did what you told me and I've, I've already waited six minutes. What's going on? When is this, have you, there's times where we're obedient to an instruction and a decade later it comes to pass. 
There's things I've prayed for, you've prayed for, hoped for, cried out to God for. And, and you know what? They didn't come in two days, in five days, in 30 days. They came in years or decades. Or maybe they haven't come yet. Don't quit. If you heard God, be obedient. Put your faith in action. Do what he says. Fight the good fight. Keep walking with him. You say, until when? Until he moves, amen? And these guys went around six times. It didn't make sense. It didn't seem to be having any effect, you know, but they put their faith into action. God asked Joshua and the children of Israel to do something that didn't make sense. You don't breach walls by marching around them. No army ever has. As they walked around, you know, those walls in dead silence and priests blowing horns, you know those people on the walls of Jericho were making fun of them. Come on. They weren't just saying, there, oh, what do they do? No, they're like, what a bunch of idiots. Look at them out there. What are they doing, getting exercise? Are they out of shape? You know, and jeering at them, probably calling things out. The Bible doesn't say, but there again, I know human nature. And the wicked are always taunters. The enemy of God's people always taunt them. So here they are walking around, and they're jeering, and maybe they're shooting at them, or maybe they're throwing stuff at them. I, I don't know what's going on, but it's not, it's not having any effect as far as they could see. The wall's not loosening up. The mortar's not loosening up. There's no cracks in the wall. They're walking around. It doesn't look like anything's happening. And you know what? Whether we can see anything happening or not, we need to be obedient. Amen? You know, we sing that song, Waymaker. There's a line in there. It says, even when I don't see it, you're working. You know, we sing it all, even when I don't see it. We sing it over, even when, and then it's a great song. And, oh, isn't that great? Waymaker, you know, I don't see it, but you're working. Then Monday comes. And we're like, what are you doing? Nothing's happening. I'm marching around, I'm marching around. There's no cracks in the wall. They're making fun of us, God. <laughs> Six times around. See, that was the test of the faith. It's easy to do anything once. By the sixth time, you gotta know that everybody was thinking, you know, we're all in on this one now. We're going for broke. The all-important seventh day comes, and Joshua musters the company. He puts them in order. They get in formation, and they get ready to march. Verse 15 and 16 show that this, the seventh day requires them to do seven laps around the city. Listen to verses 15 and 16. Then on the seventh day, they got up early. Yeah, because they got a lot of walking to do. They got up early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same way seven times. Only on that day, they did, they did, they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priest blew the trumpet, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. So the all-important seventh day arises. They get out there early, crack a day, and they do their seven laps around Jericho. Now, you might think, that would be exhausting. Can we, you know, I, I haven't figured out how many miles that would be or what, you know, maybe somebody could figure that out just by maybe knowing some things about Jericho. But I would think all dressed up in your gear, carrying your stuff, the priest, I mean, just blowing them horns for seven laps. I'm winded just thinking about it. Why would God choose to, to do that on the seventh day? To exhaust his army just before it had to fight a battle. Think about that. He's wearing them out. 
If you've ever been in a fight before, you know you want to be fresh. Round five is not like round one. Yet here they are on round seven, and they go around seven times. So God just wore out his foot soldiers with all that walking. Why in the world would he do that? I'll tell you exactly why. Because he didn't want them to think when they got the victory that it was by their own strength. It wasn't by the strength of their arms or their legs. It wasn't that they were fresh and skilled and, and just, they, they were so skillful. They just, you know, they wiped them out and it was all us. See, a lot of times God has to send us for laps because our pride would take the glory if he didn't wear us out. A lot of times we've got to go year after year, day after day, you know, until we're worn out and exhausted so that when the victory comes, there's no doubt about it that it was God and not us. God doesn't share his glory with man. He asks us to be obedient. He rewards us for our obedience, but he doesn't share his glory. Now, verse, uh, they, they do their laps, they blast the trumpet, and the entire group shouts. Verse 20 through 21 just as God said, when they shouted, the walls fell flat. Listen, so the people shouted and the priests blew the trumpets. When they heard the sound of the trumpets, the people shouted with a great shout. Wow, I wish they had that recorded. And the walls fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, everyone straight ahead. They utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox, sheep, donkey with the edge of the sword. A pretty brutal moment right there. You say, why did God let the people of God wipe out people? Because God understood the wickedness of certain people groups, and he knew that if they didn't take them out of the land, they would eventually uh, worship their gods and marry their women and, and get involved with their idols. You, you know this story, right? You see, and that's why you know, having fellowship with the world in a way that we become worldly is a really dangerous thing. In the Old Testament, there were, there were people that were so estranged from God, so wicked. They worshiped idols. They worshiped demons. They, they did all kinds of perverted sexual practices. And God could not let his people intermingle with them. There's still an element of that for us today. We need to be in the world, but not of it. We need to be around our unsaved friends and family, but we can't be worldly when we're with them. Well, pastor, I went out this Sunday and I, I went out and got drunk at the bar and preached a good sermon to my friends. You might want to recalibrate that. You know, we're in the world, but not of it. These guys had to wipe out these people or like a cancer, uh, the leaven that was contained in that culture would spread through the children of Israel. We've seen it happen so many times in Israel's history, and we see it happen with us. If we don't reject the things of the world, they slowly wear us out till we become worldly, and then we become snared with the same sins that snare the lost. So seven laps, blasted, the walls fall. And notice the walls fall flat. You say, how in the world does all that rubble fall flat? I don't know. We don't have any footage, but that's what it says. And it says that they went straight in. Maybe the walls fell straight into the ground. Maybe there was an earthquake that just a giant sinkhole, everything sucked up. I don't know how, but I know that's what it says. And I know that they went in straight. So this was a great miracle. And they went in straight and they did what the Lord told them to do. Now, uh, 
I looked at 15 and 16. We looked at 20 and 21, but we skipped three verses. And in, the, in verses 17, 18, and 19, there's three buts, and I want you to listen to them. It says this. So as they're going into the city, the walls have fallen flat. The shout was made. It, it worked just as God said. Verse 17, Joshua says, but the city shall be designated for destruction. It and everything that belongs in it to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in the house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. So the first but is the first instruction. Then the second one in verse 18. But as for you, only keep yourselves from the things designated for destruction so that you do not covet them and take some of the designated things and turn the camp of Israel into something designated for destruction, bringing disaster on it. Verse 19, but number three. But all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So we got three buts there and three instructions, and they're very critical. These are critical instructions. If the, they're, again, faith takes obedience. They had to do what God told them to do. They marched around. They shouted. That worked. Now phase two, there's more. The first instruction is this. Everything in that city uh, is slated for destruction except for Rahab. Take everything out, but don't touch Rahab. That was important. Amen. We know a, a, a Rahab put something on her door so you know they could tell who it was and what house it was. Instruction number two, the things that are be, to be destroyed are not to be taken as plunder. There again, this is a break from normal protocol. Soldiers who risked their life and fought battles enjoyed the plunder that they got when they were victorious. If they lived through the battle, they got to share some of the plunder. Seems fair, doesn't it? But see, if they took the stuff out of that city, those unclean things that were in Jericho that the Lord wanted to destroy, idols and, and carvings and, and, and false gods and all that, if they took that stuff out if, and they brought it into the camp, they would suffer the same judgment as Jericho. You see, I want to tell you something about idol worship and the worship of material things. It brings the judgment of God. If you look at the situation that America's in, partially how we've gotten here is we've become so idolatrous that we worship material things and not God. And when I say we, I'm not saying us. You know, sometimes I get tired of we. We, 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 we. Uh, and we. And we're not for wickedness, and we're not for idolatry, and we're not for abortion. I, I hope that's right, amen? But as a nation, we have done some wicked things and see we see judgment is attached to idolatry and whoever worships idols whoever worship material things the judgment of god falls on them they're instructed to be careful not to covet the things slated for destruction did you see that what a word to us all of the things in this world all the material things all the gold and the silver all the shiny stuff is going to burn when god finishes off the earth in a sense, all the material things and all the idols that this world worships are slated for destruction. And God says, be careful not to covet them. What does that mean? To look at them to the point where you desire them and want nothing else but them. 
So they're told not to covet. Don't, you know, don't even look at it. Be careful. They're slated for destruction. You know, uh, this took great faith for everyone involved at this moment. It was an interesting instruction that they were given here. They had to go in there, risk their lives, do what God commanded them to do, and come out with nothing for themselves. And if you think that that would be easy, you're mistaken. They had to instead have faith to trust God to be their portion and to forsake all the shiny things, even though they felt like they'd earned it. You know, the hardest time to deny yourself is when you feel like you've earned it. Come on, Wednesday night. Man, I deserve this. Man, I worked hard. Man, I, I did the work of three people. I, they watched and I worked and, you know, I, I did the fight and I went in there. I, I, I got wounded. I don't get any of the plunder. You see, they had to forsake the plunder in this situation. There were times where God would let them take stuff. That was normal protocol in, in, in the way battles went. But this time he said, don't touch it, don't look at it, don't covet it. You know, come out, you know, with none of it for yourself. I'll be your portion. There's a lot of implications here. Uh, all the things of this world that we could worship as idols, that we could sacrifice our time and our energy to, uh, we have to forsake them. Not that we can't have nice stuff and God doesn't bless us, but he's got to be number one on the throne of our hearts, amen? He's got to be our portion. He's got to be more than enough. Instruction number three, verse 19, the third but. All the gold and silver and bronze and iron was to be considered holy to the Lord. It literally belonged to the Lord. And it was to be taken out of the city and put into the treasury. So this was an interesting caveat here that God wanted all the wealth that was taken out. The people weren't to take it. It was considered holy and to be put in the treasury. Now, this is dicey because they were just told not to covet the stuff but yet now they have to handle it and take it out of the city. Hello, are you getting this? Man, ah, oh, I like that block of gold there. I better not look at it. Let's see, I got to carry it out. It's big. It's shiny. I put my kids through college with this. So it's kind of dicey. You, it's not for you. You're not to take it, yet you have to remove it and, and not take any of it from yourself, but it's the Lord's. It's holy. It's to be put in the treasury. See, God was making the point for them here. They were involved in the battle, but the battle was the Lord's. They were involved in the victory through their obedience. They exercised faith, but this battle, said, God said, I, I won the victory in this. I'm taking all the spoil for myself. He's God. He can do that. Amen. God won the battle, God leveled the wall, God made their job easy, God gets all the glory and all the spoil for what he'd done. He was making the point that the battle was the Lord's. And so three instructions there are very important. It was just as important for them to march around six times and shout on the seventh. It was just important for them to follow all those instructions. Every part of this took faith. And that's why the, this whole idea of Jericho is mentioned here because the people of God exercised great faith and Joshua led them. As I close here, I just want to look at verse 31 and quickly <clears throat> we're going to make a point about Rahab. Rahab is this woman who uh, was a prostitute and when the spies came to spy out the city, she hid them. Uh, they would have been found out. They would have been killed. Israel would have had no intel. It would have made their 
situation much harder, but Rahab has integrity somehow, and she, she makes a decision here that actually saves her and all that's in her house. It said, by faith, in verse 31 of chapter 11, Rahab the harlot did not perish among those who were disobedient. And she had welcomed, after she had welcomed the spies in peace. So <clears throat> just a short blurb about Jericho, just a short blurb about Rahab. Verse 31 speaks of this woman, uh, and it's brief. Uh, you know, she did one singular thing. And I said she was one of two women mentioned in the Hall of Fame of Faith. One was a princess, and then we have Rahab. Abraham's wife, Sarah, was the other. Uh, the lone act of faith she did is that she didn't turn the spies in when she could have. Now, apparently this was such a pivotal moment here for the people of God that God honored her for her integrity in this matter. And you say, well, where is the faith in what Rahab did? She, she really just kind of saved her own butt, right? No, there is more to it than that. You see, she protected them, hid them in her roof. She made excuses. She told them all they went the other way. She sent them on a goose chase. Why did she do all this? Because she, she, she took this risk to herself to side with God's people against her own people. Literally what she did was choose righteousness over wickedness. You see, all of us are sinners. All of us deserve judgment. All of us have committed harlotry and worshiped idols. Is that uncomfortable? You look like someone just ran over your cat. Yeah, we've all, the, the scripture tells us we've all gone astray. We've all, we've all, you know, played the harlot. Why? Because we've run after the things of the world and, and we turned our back on God. And so that's a part of human nature. But what she does here at this moment is she chooses to forsake human nature, to forsake wickedness, and at her own peril, at risk to her own life, she chooses to side with righteousness. That's a decision all of us have to make in life. There's going to be times when push comes to shove that we're going to have to either do the easy thing or we're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to side with the, the, the things of God and choose righteousness even when it's hard. It was great faith that she hid the Hebrew spies. She didn't know what was going to happen. She didn't know if they could take the city. She didn't know. But somehow in her heart, she knew that she should not side with the wicked people in Jericho she should side with the people of God. Well, doesn't that make her a traitor? Listen, when we choose to, we, we have no, we have no, we don't have to be loyal to wickedness. If our nation does wickedness, we don't say, well, you know, you know, America, and then we're just over, no. When it does wickedness, we need to call it out. When our leaders do wickedness, we need to call it out. So we, we can't just side with, well, I, I picked this team. You know, well, well I, I, I'm a Mets fan. Well, I'm a Yankees fan. Well, de till death do we part, you know. Uh, you have to side with righteousness, and that's what she does here. She wasn't a traitor at all. She turned her back on the wicked to, to side with the godly, and that's a decision there again we all need to make. Why would anyone choose wickedness over righteousness? Yet we have a whole generation that revels in wickedness and mocks righteousness. The destruction that came to Jericho will come to the wicked. Eventually, God will bring judgment upon the wicked. He extends grace after grace after grace. Why? Because he's not willing that any should perish. 
What are we doing here in life, Pastor Rick? I don't know. Maybe we're on the fifth or sixth lap around the city, and it's almost time to shout. And we're going to hear a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, amen? And the dead in Christ are going to rise, and Jesus is going to take his bride home to be with him for eternity, amen? It's almost turn, time to shout, but there are wicked people that need to repent and choose righteousness. That's why we're taking some laps around. What are we doing here? <laughs> we're waiting on God. And while we wait on God, we're to exercise our faith and we're to be obedient. The kingdom of darkness doesn't deserve our allegiance or our respect. We should betray it at every turn and we should always choose righteousness. Rahab did, and it saved her. And they killed everyone and everything in that city except her and those who were in her house. Wow. One righteous decision saved her for eternity. And she's in the Hall of Fame of Faith, and uh, we're talking about her tonight. Why? Because she chose righteousness over wickedness. She chose God over the world. And so should we every minute of every day. The walls are going to fall eventually. The judgment's going to touch those who refuse to repent. Our job is to exercise faith, to be obedient, and to wait for the Lord and to wait for the shout. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we just thank you tonight for this text. I pray that these hidden gems that we've uncovered would be tucked in all of our hearts. Holy Spirit, I just pray tonight that you would just show us where we need to make choices, where we need to pick sides. We have so many that are willing to compromise, so many in the church with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. When the wall falls, those who are straddling it are going to go down with it. Help us, Lord, to choose righteousness and to flee from wickedness, to choose faith and obedience over the comfort of this moment. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give him a hand clap of praise tonight.